so we can continue to wear our gloves. The objects that we're carrying, we have to hand it to each other within four cubits because you're not allowed to carry a distance of four cubits in the street. So we'll hand it to each other so that no one person carries the object for uh, whatever, six or eight feet. Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. so we can continue to wear our gloves. The objects that we're carrying, we have to hand it to each other within four cubits because you're not allowed to carry a distance of four cubits in the street. So we'll hand it to each other so that no one person carries the object for uh, whatever, six or eight feet. Then when we get to the house, we will have uh, a non-Jew who works in the house, we'll have him take it from our hands and bring it into the house. That non-Jew is allowed to carry, so that's not violating any laws. That's the best procedure, and that's what they did. When they got home, they immediately hit the books to look up the law and see whether that was, in fact, the best procedure. They looked up all the commentaries and all the uh, footnotes on, on the code of law, and having discovered, having d discussed all of the possibilities, they came to the conclusion that of all the possibilities, that was the most appropriate and the most correct thing to do. We are told that when Epschneir Zalman, the Alte Rebbe's grandfather, realized that his, that his wife was actually a scholar he immediately suspected that, that her family was involved with this secret uh, community of Kabbalah studiers, and he was quite shocked and demanded a divorce. His father-in-law then sat down with him and introduced him to the study of Kabbalah, and he became himself a student of Kabbalah. And from then on, in that family, the family of the Maharal, the family of Pearl, the wife of the Maral, the family of King David, the royal family in, in Jewish life, and then the grandson, the Alter Rebbe, the education of their daughters became a norm. The Alter Rebbe's daughter, Dvorlea, was a great scholar. In fact, she was quite a saint. Um, and uh, the story of her self-sacrifice uh, is well known. And so it became the norm for daughters to be educated. The rest, of course, is history. The education of women took off <clears throat> two or three generations ago when um, yeshivas were actually created for women. It was a formal education, not, not just a father teaching his daughter. It became a formal education, it became a schooling of women, and of course today, there is no subject that women cannot study or should not study. And the more study, the better, because what we feed our minds 
is what influences our heart, and the heart influences our behavior, so that all of life, and particularly Jewish life, depends on what we feed our brains. The Maharal, being a descendant of King David, was an exceptional leader in Jewish life. And we find that this is true of all the descendants of King David, or should I say, all great leaders who were descendants of King David. There's a certain element of royalty that is inherited and that gets passed on generation after generation in the royal line. There's a, there's a story about the previous Rebbe's father and the previous Rebbe who were walking together in, uh, in some area in, uh, in Petersburg when they came to the parade grounds where the Russian army, the Tsar's army, uh, would, uh, would do their, their parading. And there was a box seat, a stage with a, with, a, with a canopy, where the Tsar would sit when he reviewed his troops. This, uh, the Tsar had passed away, had died, and um, the seat remained untouched. It was, it was cordoned off, it was roped off, and it was a historic site, and people did not, uh, did not use that stage or that seat. And in fact, there was a guard placed uh, to protect the, uh, the site. The Rebbe's father said to him, it would be very nice to, to sit down on that seat for a while. The Rebbe took a hint, the previous Rebbe got the hint, and he went and he distracted the guard and uh, drew him into some conversation. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe, Rebbe's father, Rebbe Rashab, um, covered his shoes with his handkerchiefs and walked up on the stage and sat down in the Tsar's uh, chair. He sat there for almost a half hour, and afterwards they went home. The Rebbe Rashab then proceeded to pen one of the most profound, elaborate, detailed, uh, innovative works in Hasidic philosophy. And he told his son that the germ, the idea that sparked this writing, he had thought of, had come to him while he was sitting on the seat on the Tsar's chair. Now, although the Tsar was a tyrant and somewhat, uh, somewhat touched, not quite stable, and extremely cruel, Yet, the element of royalty, that power, that authority, that, that um, magnitude of vision that a czar is capable of, somehow uh, inspired the Rebbe to a greater thinking, to a greater um, discovery. And so we find that all the, the, uh, the great leaders in Jewish history who were descendants of King David, had a certain flair, a certain greatness about them that was not limited to the Jewish community, and it affected uh, the entire population, and in some cases, even the entire world. The Maharal is famous not only among Jews, but even among the non-Jews of Transylvania, or whatever it was called in those days, of the vicinity of Prague.
He was also proficient in subjects in addition to Torah. He was, he was, he was knowledgeable in philosophy and in science and in uh, astronomy. We find the same thing true of the Alter Rebbe, being a descendant of the Maharal. He was also uh, a leader whose influence reached far beyond the limits of his shtetl or of his co congregation or of his community or even of the Jewish people. And so the Tsar, in the times of the Alter Rebbe, uh, made him an honorary citizen or something of that kind of a title, a special title, because of the medicines, some skin medicines that he had, that he had discovered, and because of uh, his uh, knowledge and his help in the field of science and, and mathematics, that he uh, that he offered the czar. In addition to which, he was also very much involved in the war between between Russia and France the Franco-Russian War, where he supported the Tsar against Napoleon. And his Hasidim, in many, many ways, served as, uh, as intelligence sources for the Tsar and helped in the war effort in, the, in, that, in that war. So the Al-Tarebbe was recognized as a leader, not only by Hasidim, not only by the Jewish people, but even by the government and by the uh, by the officials by the czar himself. That kind of leadership, that kind of authority, that enables a Jewish leader to speak to the entire world, um, comes from this element, from this quality called royalty, which of course exists in abundance in those who are descendant of King David, but others have it as well, or are capable of it as well. The ability to speak to the world, the ability to be a serve as a messenger of godly content to the entire world is something that we find at first with King David. Moses, of course, was a great Jewish leader, but we don't find that he had a message to the world. Not that his message wasn't relevant to the world, but he didn't address the world. He didn't speak to the nations of the world. He spoke to the Jewish people. Moses is called Moshe Rabbeinu. He is Moses, our teacher, our master. He is not called a king. King David is called a king. The story of Purim, where Esther took on responsibility for her entire people and went to speak to the king and to uh, annul the decree that Haman had made. Esther was a descendant of royalty. She was a granddaughter of King Saul. So this element of royalty is what gives a person that ability to speak universally, to think universally, and to be heard universally. Of course, there are many people who run around thinking universally, but nobody cares because their opinion doesn't count and they're simply wasting their time. They have illusions of grandeur. And so they think global thoughts, but they can't even take care of their own immediate needs. We're talking about someone whose global thoughts actually have an effect and influence the morality, the godliness, the goodness, the behavior of generations of, of people, Jews and non-Jews. 
So this quality of, of royalty, this quality of, of malchus, is where a person has a, uh, a powerful effect simply by the words that he uses. Any person whose words have an effect, whose words are heard, is displaying this quality called royalty or malchus. Because malchus, on the one hand, is related to kingdom, to, to rulership, but it's also related to speech. The combination tells us that a king rules through his words. A king doesn't work hard. A king doesn't get down and, and do the work. He orders it. He instructs, and it gets done because his words are heard, obeyed. His words have an effect. So a, a king governs by his words. There are people, surprisingly sometimes, whose words carry so much authority, whose words are listened to, obeyed, and heard, even though they're not the most brilliant people, they're not, they're not the wisest people, and what they say isn't unusually um, brilliant or intelligent. So that it may not even be their own thought. They may be repeating someone else's thoughts. They may be quoting some wisdom. But when they say it, everybody listens. When the, when the author of the wisdom said it, nobody paid attention. Because although he was brilliant, he didn't have this quality of malchus, this quality of royalty in his speech. So that people whose words have influence are basically using or displaying the quality of the, the attribute of malchus in their personality, in their soul. When words are heard, when words are effective, when you have that kind of authority, then your, your influence is not limited in any way to people who voted for you or people who, who uh, believe in you or people who uh, belong to your congregation or community because they're paid members. It's not limited in that way at all. The power of what you say reaches everywhere, affects everyone, and is in fact truly, truly universal. If there's anything we can learn from this, it's number one, the power of our words, that we have to be careful what we say, because once spoken, even an idea that had already been thought of before or well-known uh, prior to the statement, but bringing it out into words, presenting it verbally, has a power of its own that is sometimes uh, stronger and greater than the idea itself. So putting an idea into words, putting a thought into words, is, is a, uh, can be a risky thing and should be done cautiously. And that's why all wise people have always said, silence is wonderful. You have a thought, don't necessarily say it. You said something, don't necessarily write it. You heard something, don't necessarily repeat it. Because putting things into words is a very responsible act and should be done very cautiously. The second thing we learn from this is that since we all have a quality of royalty in us, 
It's one of the ten faculties of the soul. We all have not only the ability to influence others, but the obligation to do so. Royalty is not a privilege, it's an obligation. As the, as the Gemara says, um, it is not Lord, most, I think most, Moses said to, to, uh, to, to Yeshua, to Joshua, it is not lordship that I give you over the people, it is servitude to the people. Once you become their leader, once you become a king, you become a slave to the people. It's a servitude, not a lordship. So we all have this obligation, the servitude, of serving the people, of serving others, of being responsible for the community. The community, for most of us, consists of our immediate family. For some of us, if we have greater influence, more malchus, then it extends to our extended family. A greater influence than that is, of course, the congregation, then the community, the town, the country, and eventually the world. So each in our own way, each in our own little country, need to be the king of, of our country. And by that, we mean taking responsibility, the servitude, and feeling comfortable and and actually grateful for the ability to be of service to the people, to serve others in a, in a leadership position. And in doing so, we need to be extremely careful when our words are heard and to those who listen to our words, we have to be very careful what we say and how we say it.